the effects of controlling the UK borders are likely to be much smaller than we think at best or completely inexistent at worst. I get the feeling that people and politicians often don't understand the subtleties and the complexity of migration policy in today's world. Hello, my name is Kirsty Styles, and welcome to the weekly economics podcast where this week I'm joined by the New Economics Foundation's Olivier Vardakoulias to tackle the question of free movement in post-Brexit Britain. We have control of our borders, so we can we decide... Don't have control of, we, can, we don't have control of our borders, Home Secretary. <laughs> the very principle of a single market across Europe is the free movement of people. If you have the free movement of capital, you should also have the free movement of people. The major sticking point is the question of free movement. May wants to keep access to the EU's 500 million consumers and respect the will of British voters. The idea of staying within a common market but outside the political integration, I think that is feasible, yes. And that means free movement of people. It means free movement of labour. It doesn't mean EU citizenship with all the acquired rights. I'm sorry, we've just been through three months of agony on the issue of immigration. This is... And the public have been led to believe... So hello, Olivier. Welcome back to the podcast. Hello. <laughs> it's like your fourth time on, dude. What are you supposed to say? Hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, immigration was a big topic during the EU referendum campaign. And since Brexit, lots of politicians have been debating whether this is the end of free movement of people. First of all, can you explain what free movement of people means in the context of the EU? Well, it's quite simple. Basically, it's about citizens of EU countries being able to move freely within the EU, work in any EU member state they want, and enjoying the same labour and other rights than domestic workers. Uh, There are some uh, extra EU countries, such as Norway and Switzerland, which are not part of the EU, but have been granted special access to the common market as a condition that they also endorse uh, a free movement policy. Okay, simple. So um, what did campaigners say about free movement during the EU referendum campaign and what have politicians been saying about it since the vote for Brexit? Well, basically, I mean, you have four arguments uh, which have been formulated during the campaign and are still being debated. Uh, The first one is that you know, one one side of the argument is people saying, well, there's too much immigration, this is taking away jobs from locals and putting a strain on public services, the NHS, uh, as well as putting pressure on wages. That's one side of the argument. Then you have three additional arguments which are basically contesting this view. Uh, so the first one is obviously that immigration is a net contributor to the UK economy, and this is supported by facts. So, for example, you've got the OECD that has shown that migrants are net tax contributors in the UK, which means that they pay more taxes than they receive in benefits. Uh, there are also many sectors of the economy that are dependent on migrant labor for jobs that domestic workers don't do. This includes agriculture, but also social care, health services, the NHS, doctors and nurses, and finally as well in construction. Um, a third argument, uh, beyond the fact that immigrants are net contributors to the UK economy, is actually that Britons don't mind uh, immigration that much. Uh, so, for example, there was a survey done by Ipsos Mori that showed that You know, Brits consider that immigration has overall been positive for the UK, 
uh, a majority of them state that it, it has been something positive for the UK economy, positive for culture and society in Britain, and positive for them personally. What they worry about uh, is that uh, population growth uh, is basically putting a strain on public services. And so the argument here is really that actually the problem isn't with immigration, it's the fact that we haven't been investing enough in the NHS, in education services uh, since 2010, and that this is what we need to do. Finally, a fourth argument uh, is uh, regarding real wages, is people that say, well, yes, we've been observing a decline in real wages, but actually overall immigration has little to do with that, uh, or is at best a very minor factor you know, in driving real wage growth compared to other stuff. And, you know, this is supported as well by comparative evidence. So, you know, just look at other European countries, for example, Germany, that have experienced significant immigration inflows in the past few years, but yet the real wages grew substantially and substantially more than the UK. So there must be other factors at play. So you've got there basically four arguments. Okay, so when we leave the European Union then, will uh, free movement, uh, whatever people think of it, of EU citizens in and out of the UK stop? Uh, and therefore, will immigration to the UK decrease? Well, we don't know yet whether uh, it will stop. That depends on the negotiations that happen with the EU. It's very clear that if the UK is to retain access to the common market, it will have to accept free movement. Uh, on Regarding, you know, whether politicians actually refuse to grant that and actually say we don't want free movement, uh, I get the feeling that people and politicians often don't understand the subtleties and the complexity of migration policy in today's world. And, you know, the idea that by just by putting a, in place a visa system and controlling your borders will lead to a drastic decline in immigration is, you know, quite simplistic. Uh, at best, at worst, it's populism. Uh, and there are two reasons for that. I mean, firstly, you know, people and politicians in the UK often point, for example, to the visa point system in countries such as Canada and the US. Uh, and yet what they fail to say is that both these countries have major undocumented immigrant inflows. Uh, so the fact you manage to control the inflow of people officially coming in doesn't mean that people don't come anyway unofficially. Uh, just look at what's happening in the US-Mexican border or in the Mediterranean. Uh, what this means in other terms is that by restricting official flows, you may be increasing unofficial ones, and therefore that part of what you were intended to do is offset anyway. Uh, the second thing that people fail to understand very often is the nature of contemporary migration patterns and the behavior uh, of migrants. So many people uh, who come from other EU countries don't come here for permanent settlement. Uh, many people come here for a few years to save money, buy a house in their home countries in order to eventually go back uh, to their country of origin. And basically a series of researchers from Oxford University recently showed that empirically uh, when one puts in place visa restrictions, uh, the official inflow uh, of migrants, so in this case from the EU, may decline, but at the same time, uh, people's circulation or the return of migrants declines as well. Uh, what happens there is that when, when you have free circulation, uh, people are more likely uh, to go back to their country of origin. Uh, this is because they know that you know if they go back, uh, and something bad happens or it doesn't work out well, they know they can always come back to the UK and work. 
Whereas if you start putting visa restrictions in place and, you know, they, they fear they may not be able to come back to the UK uh, if things go eventually go bad, uh, basically they're going to choose to stay here. And what this means is that you may have less inflow of people coming in, but you also will have less outflow and net immigration. So the people coming in minus the people coming out may actually decline very marginally. Okay, so you're saying that increasing our border controls with the EU uh, to limit immigration doesn't work? Well, what I'm saying is that both is an intended consequence of migration restrictions. So on the one hand, increased undocumented migration and the decrease of migrant circulation mean that the effects of controlling the UK borders are likely to be much smaller than we think at best or completely inexistent at worst. And, you know, in the end, this means three things. I mean, the first one is that those politicians making such claims should do their homework. Uh, the second is that the UK is, unlike, is likely to commit a lot of public money in doing this to very little effect. Uh, and surely this is not the best use of public funds at a moment when the NHS and the UK's education system indeed need massive investments for responding to a growing population. And third, it would be a quite spectacular policy failure to give up access to the common market, which will mean a huge economic cost to the UK, in order to implement immigration policies that are more likely to fail anyway. So some politicians are, are worried that immigration and the larger supply of labour that this provides uh, leads to falling wages for workers. If we can't limit immigration, doesn't that mean that workers will earn less money? Well, again, we need to be thinking a bit about unintended consequences here. Uh, if restricting immigration translates into more uh, undocumented, so unofficial migration, uh, then obviously this is uh, very bad for real wages, as these migrants will be working outside labor laws and outside official channels. Uh, the second thing is that if workers need visas to come and work here and the visas are under control of the employer, uh, as currently happens with migrants from outside the EU, uh, then these will also put these workers at the mercy of their employer. They will have even weaker bargaining power than they currently have over their wage, their work conditions, and this will put domestic workers in an even more unfavorable situation than they are now. Uh, so all in all, you know, implementing visa restrictions may paradoxically mean uh, that we are likely to see a bigger pressure on wages and poor work conditions. So for the average worker, I think this will probably be much worse compared to the current situation. But more widely, the role of immigration on the spectacular fall of real wages since 2008 is marginal at best. Uh, this may be the case in some specific sectors and places, but overall it diverts us from the real problems of the British economy. Okay, this is quite a pivotal point, though. Can we really say that immigration has not had an effect on wages across the country? Uh, are there not parts of the country where there has been uh, more immigration uh, leading to specifically uh, lower wages? So I think we need to distinguish between short term and medium term here. Uh, I'm going to start from the medium term um, and then go to the short term. So the, the problem, if you want, with this wage reduction story uh, is the following. Uh, the people who say that are assuming that there is a fixed number of jobs in the economy. So the economy is stable. It's not growing. You have X number of jobs, uh, despite the fact that more migrants are coming in. And so obviously, if you have a fixed number of jobs and there are more people, uh, this means that either unemployment will go up or wages will go down, right? Because there will be more competition on the labor market. 
But here there is a fundamental inconsistency because when more people come, that means more mouths to feed, more stuff to sell because these people will buy things, will consume, uh, and these things need to be produced uh, by the domestic economy. So to make this extra production, you will have to employ more people. Uh, in effect, what you have in the medium term, by definition, is that when population grows, the economy grows, uh, and therefore the pool of jobs goes up. Now, what you end up with are more people, obviously, and more jobs as well. So you don't necessarily have more competition on the labor market as such. That's the medium term. Now, in the short term, temporarily, you may have a pressure on wages in some sectors and in some places. So, for example, if you get a massive inflow uh, of migrant workers who have very specific skill set or are working in very specific sectors, in the short term, you may see some pressure on wages in some regions. But overall, in the medium term, this relationship doesn't hold in the way that people assume it does. Okay, um, but real wages have been falling, uh, the stats say. So if immigration isn't the real issue, is there something bigger happening overall? Well, we could be talking about this for hours, right? But just to mention a few reasons. I mean, obviously, a key long-run factor has been the decline of unionization since the 1970s and as a consequence, weaker bargaining power for workers. Uh, but since 2008, there has been a really acute fall in real wages, as a recent TUC report showed. Uh, and the reasons are multiple. So just to give you a few examples, one of them is the spectacular decline in manufacturing, uh, which led to, led to the loss of relatively well-paid manufacturing jobs and their replacement by badly paid service jobs. Uh, the second one is the recession itself, of course, until 2012. And finally, we have seen further labor market de deregulation. So, for example, the proliferation of precarious zero-hour contract jobs and so on. So these are really key factors before, you know, behind the, the fall in real wages. I saw a really great uh, news article that was entitled Millennials Earn Less Than the Generation Before Them. And it was just like you're saying... It, that as though it's off, like not we're getting paid less, just that we are earning less by some kind of magical um, thing that we seem to be able to control and we're just not pulling the right levers. Anyway, so ending free movement, you're saying, won't necessarily lead to a significant decrease in immigration and could, in fact, do more to put pressure on wages, as well as putting the lives of uh, many migrants at risk if they're coming here undocumented. So what do you think the government should be doing on that basis. I always put you under pressure to be like, what is the ideal situation here? And they've all got it wrong, Olivier, come on. Well, listen, people understandably worried about the effects of an increasing population on vital public services, and you can't blame them for that. The good news is that, as I said before, migrants are net tax contributors, and this gives the state more leeway to spend if it decides to do so. Uh, so we need to take this opportunity for investing in public social services, in the NHS, in public sector education and in wider infrastructure now uh, in order to respond to an increasing population, but also in order to undercut the support for anti-immigration views. Uh, understandably as well, people are worrying about their standards of living and their wages. Uh, and the government should be really taking a proactive approach to increasing real wages via no numerous routes. Uh, first, by raising labor market standards. Second, by supporting the investment in sectors and activities which can deliver good jobs rather than badly paid, low quality service jobs, uh, particularly in the regions most hit by deindustrialization, loss of manufacturing, 
uh, and so on, things that we've been seeing over the past years. And there is a case as well for saying that the government could provide special additional support to those regions where, you know, you do have that kind of pressure on wages in the short term, right? Finally, uh, if we are really to talk about, you know, a holistic migration policy, there are much more innovative, humane and less misanthropic ways of dealing with this problem. Uh, The first thing is that you really need to be helping the poorest European countries to grow and develop their economies. And on this front, stomping the UK's contribution to the EU budget, as the current government intends to do, is counterproductive. Okay, Because the EU structural funds are precisely about that. They're about investing in regions and countries where these migrants originate from and which have you know, a big lack of infrastructure, of productive activities which could deliver jobs in these areas. Uh, That's a smarter policy than simply undercutting their life uh, chances. Okay, Olivier, so good jobs, good public services and good policies. Might sound a little bit ambitious in the current climate, but we'll see. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. We'll be back at the same time next week. So gang, you've made it this far uh, and if you like what you've heard and want others to hear it too, please send it to a friend, uh, leave us a cheeky review on iTunes and at the very least, please give us some stars. The Weekly Economics Podcast is brought to you by the New Economics Foundation, an independent think tank and charity that campaigns for a fairer, sustainable economy. Find out more and get involved at neweconomics.org.